T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome to WBBM In-Depth. My name's Jill DeGroote. April 13th, 2022 marks the 30th anniversary of one of the most bizarre incidents in Chicago history. A construction mishap in the Chicago River sent water cascading throughout the old freight tunnel system and into the basements of Loop office buildings. The disaster was later known as the Great Chicago Flood. On today's special episode, WBBM's Rob Hart looks back on that day through archival audio and an interview with local historian Bruce Moffitt. This is Rob Hart, and on the WBBM In-Depth Podcast, we talk about the invisible disaster. Chicago was devastated by fire in 1871, and 30 years ago this week, the city was hit by a great flood. Except it was a flood that very few people could see. Crews doing work in the Chicago River near the Kinsey Street Bridge drove a wooden piling into the riverbed. That put pressure on clay soil that eventually punctured the wall of the long-abandoned freight tunnel system and into the lower reaches of downtown Chicago. The fire department started getting multiple calls for flooding in the basements of Loop office buildings in the morning of April 13, 1992. Here's how it sounded on WBBM that day with John Holtman, Felicia Middlebrooks, and the WBBM News Team. WBBM News Time 759. Our top stories on WBBM. Problems of flooding in the loop this morning. Let's go to WBBM News Radio 78's Don Mellum live on the news line. Unofficial word from Fire Commissioner Raymond Roscoe a few minutes ago. New construction at the Merchandise Mart ruptured a retaining wall at the Chicago River, sending river water into the old tunnel system. That's causing the floods. Topping the news, firefighters in the loop are fighting water this morning, trying to control flooding in the basements of several buildings. WBBM News Radio 78's Regine Schlesinger joins us live. At least three feet of water already in the basement of Marshall Fields here on State Street, and the water is continuing to pour in. Water also in the basement of the Merchandise Mart. We're told the problem may be a break in a city water main. They're trying to shut off one of the water mains to see if that helps, but they don't know if that's causing the problem. They, at this point, they don't really know where the water is coming from. Problem here at Marshall Field is the water is getting dangerously close to some underground electrical vaults, and they may have to shut off the electricity in the building so far, though it's still on. Reporting live at Marshall Fields on State Street, Regine Schlesinger, WBBM News Radio 78. 
WBBM Newstime 944. Here is a bulletin just into the WBBM newsroom. Let's go live to the Midwest Stock Exchange to our business editor, Len Walter. Len? Well, the flooding in the tunnel system underneath uh, the city of Chicago's loop area is also causing problems at the Chicago Board of Trade building at uh, LaSalle and Van Buren and uh, Jackson right now. They'll be shutting the building down. All trading will halt in one minute from right now on both floors, in the grain floor and the financials as well. So the world markets will be in a little bit of a shambles because of especially what's going on in the bond market today with bonds up strongly, and they'll shut them down in a minute. Len Walter, WBBM News Radio 78. The Great Chicago Flood, as it would come to be known, shut down downtown Chicago for several days in April of 1992 while crews pumped water out of the tunnel system. Bruce Moffat, a retired CTA and RTA employee, found himself a very busy man that week. That's because in 1982, he wrote a book about the freight tunnel system called 40 Feet Below. He says he has always been fascinated by the freight tunnel system. My uh, interest in it goes back actually to uh, high school. And every once in a while, the papers, especially on Sundays, would have a filler pieces on all kinds of things. And one of them every once in a great while was on these forgotten tunnels under downtown. And, um, you know, years passed. I would collect uh, historical information on the Chicago Tunnel Company when I uh, came upon it because I was interested in researching railroads and particularly the uh, Chicago rapid transit system and the streetcars. And so I was starting to collect a fair amount of uh, data on it. And then I was out of college in 1977. I graduated and the light bulb went off because uh, I always wanted to get into the tunnels to explore, always in the name of research, of course. Uh, however, that was no easier, straightforward manner. They're very difficult than is now to get into. There aren't many entrances that remain usable, all sorts of reasons before you get down to today's uh, heightened state of vigilance uh, that the city has effectively used as a reason not to allow people like me in since about 2003. Uh, but anyway, the light bulb went off because I realized, oh, my dad, he's the night supervisor at Marshall Fields. Maybe their entrance is still usable because by this point I had maps of the system and uh, sure enough they were and so uh, with a few friends we investigated a block or two and uh, really really interesting and it's, and it's urban cave exploration is really what it's like you know it's sort of intoxicating where do they go maybe you'll find something along the way uh, and what made is unusual is that it still had a complete two foot gauge railroad in it. And uh, and I had gotten a job with the Chicago Transit Authority. I was at the Merchandise Mart and uh, one thing led to another and I wound up getting in contact with uh, some very nice people at the old Department of Public Works and uh, even the Field Museum. And so there were many trips over the intervening years into the tunnels to explore as much of the system as possible. And so that's kind of how it started. And then you fast forward to April 13th of 1992. I'm looking right here at something I believe the city actually issued in commemoration. They had a 
uh, a nice like uh, silver commemorative coin and a uh, postcard view of the freight tunnels, uh, all nicely done with that date, April 13th, 1992. I was working at the Merchandise Mart and I got to the Mart as I kind of do, kind of early, it was about 7.30. And so I decided to sit down in the lobby for a while on one of the benches. I didn't have to get to work till eight o'clock. And the security guards radios, which were normally rather quiet, they were chattering like mad. I had no idea what was going on. When I finally get upstairs, someone had turned on a radio and we found out that all these buildings are reporting rising water in their basements. And they listed a number of buildings and they're saying, well, we don't know where it's coming from. And I knew exactly where it was coming from, at least in a general sense, the water. It was coming from the freight tunnel system because all these buildings that were being listed had one thing in common. They were all old, had deep basements, and, and they were connected to the freight tunnels at one point in their history. And many still were or, or had doors or closed, but weren't particularly watertight. And so that's uh, how it started. And I uh, quickly inadvertently became the go-to source for background information, because as you know, once uh, reporters have gone to the location, which turned out to be the Kinsey Street Bridge site and reported on the leak or the flood as it was known, then you need background information. Well, in 1982, the results of my walking some of the tunnels and my research, I had written a small soft cover railroad book on the system. And it sold very quietly over the years. So here comes its 10th anniversary of publication. And that book became the hottest commodity around in terms of uh, people trying to get some quick background on the system, where it was, what its function was on down the line. So, uh, and when that happened, I didn't have two copies to rub together because uh, the publisher had exhausted his supply. I say it had been selling rather, you know, slowly over 10 years. Railroad books uh, tend to do that. And uh, the 5,000 copies were out and I called the publisher who was in LA and I said, we need copies. Well, the problem was his printer was in South Central Los Angeles which was having riots at the time. So that complicated things. <laughs> kind of a perfect storm of uh, events in April of 1992. Oh, I could have I could have gotten hundreds of dollars a copy if I played my cards right. As it was, someone uh, got from the CTA's library a copy of the book, 40 feet below, and treated it to a copying machine. Because <laughs> uh, I found some copies in the flood command headquarters, which were subsequently set up to battle the flood. So, you know, I, uh, but I found myself on uh, three TV stations on that night. And that included John Calloway's uh, show on channel 11. So, uh, you know, that was my uh, 15 minutes of fame because I had worn down an entire city department to get into those tunnels. And, you know, anything to get rid of this guy, you know, and it paid off. 
Who would have thought it would have? But you know, that's where uh, the uh, historians drive to find out more. You know, dovetailed in. Well, this was uh, before we talk about the actual flood itself. Uh, the the history of the freight tunnel system is extraordinarily fascinating. And I remember because I was 12 years old when this thing happened and a railroad enthusiast. So when we found out or when I found out there was a network of miniature railroads underneath downtown Chicago, I thought this was absolutely just amazing. And this was a system that was set up uh, to service these buildings because it didn't make a lot of sense or it wasn't feasible to do it on surface streets. And it was a way to... Uh, deliver supplies to buildings and uh, and especially coal to these downtown skyscrapers at a time when they were heated with coal-fired coal fired boilers, right? Well, the whole concept of the freight tunnels is something that is probably 50 or 100 years ahead of its time when it happened. It's, it's actually started out uh, with a little bit of subterfuge uh, when it was organized in 1899 as a telephone company. Uh, and uh, the ordinance was passed to allow them to operate in competition with what became Illinois Bell, uh, stated that the wires downtown had to be in conduit. And the company would have had a big say in the writing of the ordinance. That's how things work. Anyway, they failed to mention that they were going to build conduits that happened to be big enough to run narrow gauge railroad cars through, uh, which would be about the size of a um, minivan. And the aldermen, when they found out that the company was building these fairly commodious conduits, I mean, not big enough for a regular railroad car, but like I say, you know, like a minivan size six and a half feet wide, a little taller. Uh, and that their plans encompass more than phones. Uh, there were quite a few of them that were upset because that was the era of the gray wolves in city council when aldermen were not shy about saying how much their vote would cost. And telephone franchises did not command as nearly a high a price as anything pertaining to railroads or street railways. And there was a big fallout over it. Uh, the company actually did build their phone system and build their railroad and um, things were patched up with the city. And they uh, started their, well, I should back up, actually they started construction of their conduits in the back basement of a bar owned by Alderman Johnny Powers of First Ward, only two or three blocks from City Hall. So, you know, the fact they were building these conduits bigger than some small pipe should not have been a surprise. But maybe everyone was busy drinking beer upstairs. Anyway, uh, in 1904, they had... Uh, they started uh, operating their little railroad. The tunnels were built almost indiscriminately under every street downtown, whether there was business or not. The idea was to, well, get their telephone wires everywhere, but also build first and then solicit business. 
So that's what they did. And, and the, uh, they, in an area of about two and a half square miles, they managed to build 62 miles of single track railroad under there. Under every street, like I say, they could think of. And then they started to solicit uh, the buildings, especially when buildings got taller because taller buildings have deeper basements, generally three-story basements. And that would make it easy for then the trains to be actually routed into the building to drop off coal, pick up heating ash. Those were two of the big commodities handled. But they also did do uh, general merchandise packages, uh, bulk commodities, but not, not liquids. So they were ahead of their time because they looked at it as instead of trying to get the people off of the streets onto subway trains, we'll take the commercial traffic and put it underground to free up the streets. So yes, they were ahead in that concept. The Teamsters at the time were less than thrilled with this idea. As uh, one could imagine, uh, the company did connect with every railroad uh, freight receiving station in the uh, greater loop area. And, and at that time, that amounted to 49 of them. Because every railroad that came into Chicago, into downtown Chicago, and there was perhaps two dozen of them, all handled small packages that today that'd be FedEx or UPS or somebody like that. Well, that all, that all went by railroad before. And the Chicago Tunnel Company enlisted virtually every department store on State Street. And that was back in the days when department stores would deliver anything, even to out of town locations. So department stores would package up the goods. They'd be put on a tunnel train taken to whatever the appropriate railroad was or uh, in later years trucking terminal that was online to get it on its way. So that takes us up to 1992, and it sounds like this was kind of a slow-motion disaster in how this unfolded, that the, uh, the company that was removing the pilings um, near the Kinsey Street Bridge, they punctured it, but they it, it wasn't, they didn't really know what they did because I, I think it was what it had been uh, mud had 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 plugged up the hole for a little while and then that mud gave way. Well, there is a a lovely illustration that I was actually trying to reach for right now, and won't be able to. Uh, that was published, I believe, in the Chicago Sun Times that actually better explained what happened. Great Lakes Dredge uh, and Dock had a contract to replace pilings at Kinsey Street Bridge and two other locations. And for reasons a little unclear, they asked uh, to that two of the pile groups at the Kinsey Street Bridge be moved slightly. Well, that was approved and no one bothered to check to any degree if that was 
important or not. Anyway, the company drove the new piles and what they did was they, they ran into the sides of some even older, sub, totally submerged piles that got driven into the tunnel wall. The tunnel walls are simply about 14 inches of concrete, no reinforcements. And it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's in the riverbed, it's below the riverbed. So normally that is, is quite sufficient. Anyway, over a period of time, the pressure of these old piles started separating the wall because it was coming through sideways. And then you start getting mud and muck uh, slowly coming in, oozing. I mean, incredibly slow, but coming in. And it was discovered by a surveying team for a cable TV uh, installation company. The city had been leasing out sections of the freight tunnels for years for uh, utilities like Edison and also for fiber optic operators. And they found this because it's important to note that while the city said they would do um, inspections, they really didn't walk all the system all the time. And in some places, probably even never, because you have in some areas a lot of standing water some areas under certain river crossings were completely flooded and always had been. Others, it kind of depended where the water line was uh, because the when the city got the freight tunnels, when the railroad quit, uh, the pumps were turned off and that was it. And so the city's uh, maintenance and inspections was, uh, shall we say, minimal. So oh, they, it, it was um, just simply a case of, I mean, for a lot of people, it was just out of sight, out of mind. It, it, it really was. And, and normally with a lot of infrastructure things, there aren't very many where the um, something is clear, clearly, you know, in imminent danger of failing. You have the occasional one, but Usually it, it happens suddenly like that interstate highway bridge near the Twin Cities that collapsed that one year. No one saw it coming. This one, when the city found out, they did go and look and it took some photos. And there was a lot of uh, snickering because the photos were sent to ASCO to be developed, which was kind of normal. You have a you know, an inspector, he just has his little camera with him, take a couple of pictures. Um, and, and you didn't have, you know, instant photography. So they get the pictures back after a couple of days and they start working on specifications to determine what kind of repair we're gonna do, how we're gonna do it. Like everything else, uh, these have to normally be bid out. You need all sorts of approvals to do this work. And there was nothing that I ever saw that suggested that it was an imminent danger of collapsing. Certainly nothing made the press to that effect. And then one day the poor tunnel couldn't wait anymore. And the uh, wall gave way and the water started coming in. And the Merchandise Mart building engineer 
in effect was the city's high water alarm for it because it was the mark building engineer that early that morning called 911 to say he was getting water in the basement and the mark was one of those buildings that still had an open connection to the freight tunnels for uh, removal of heating ash so there was no stopping it uh, on April 13th at night on Chicago tonight, one of the other guests there with me was uh, some people from the, uh, what's today known as the Water Reclamation District. And they were even suggesting that maybe we can just dig something from the freight tunnels or rapidly filling with water into one of the adjacent openings for the deep tunnel intercept tour. Uh, never, never heard anything more about them after that. Uh, various things were tried to stop the water. Uh, they even brought out a set of mattresses to the Kinsey Street site, but ultimately did not use them. But they poured rock in there, gravel, anything they could think of practically. Uh, the problem was the velocity of the water was such, it just sucked it downstream into this 40 miles of freight tunnel. And so it was a real problem. When 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 the when they noticed the basement was the basements were filling up, was this a kind of a, a gradual process where the water came in and they just couldn't stop it? It continued rising, or was this a uh, torrent of water from the Chicago River? No, it was a gradual. It's all from the Chicago River, and on the day of the flood, you could actually walk up onto the Kinsey Bridge because it was open still. And you could see the little whirlpool next to the bridge house. And up on top, the whirlpool doesn't look to be very, it's not very big. And I remember watching it trying to drag around this uh, styrofoam cup with limited success. But beneath the water line, it was a real vortex going into this, I suspect, relatively small hole that had opened up in the tunnel wall. And so the water was rising gradually because you have 40 miles of interlaced tunnel for this water to spread out over. So it's not a torrent like would be coming in if you just had one single spot in one building. So it took uh, more than a day for it to fill with 250 million gallons of water. And it took about once, they had to wait for the water actually to fully rise and seek its level be so they could try and plug the leak because everything they tried up to that time did not work because it was just getting sucked away. And so when they did that, they were able to go in and plug the tunnel on both sides of the rupture. And then it took about two weeks to pump it out which was Kenny Construction's job. And I got to uh, go in when they were pretty well done with cleanup with Kenny. They, the, the flood command center and the main uh, work shaft happened to be right by my office. So it was very convenient. And uh, it, at this point, you know, it, it's, it's, Eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. In fact, we have uh, a tape from our archive 
of uh, sending a reporter to Marshall Fields around 8.30. People are coming into the loop uh, to go to work. And was this, an, was this a very sudden turn everybody around and send them home? Or was this a very gradual process of you can't get into your building, the basement's flooded, uh, kill time until you can catch your next train back to the suburbs? Well, the the downtown the downtown closures took a while to implement. Many people got to work and then found they had to go home because uh, the buildings had either lost power or were worried about losing power. And it wasn't all the loop that had the problem with the water, but it was enough of it. And then the city. Uh, eventually uh, put out a call to just have everyone go home. And that was a little complicated because uh, they stopped the buses from going into the loop and CTA suspended subway service through the loop uh, because they were getting some minor, minor leaks. So people actually had to walk in many cases quite a distance to get to either a commuter train or to a bus or to uh, those rapid transit routes that were still running, but they were sent uh, home. Uh, The merchandise mart was only closed uh, for a relatively short period, uh, maybe two or three days, because the water stopped just shy of where it would have affected their electrical system and other buildings to the degree they could operate did. So it wasn't a closure that was protracted, although some buildings were closed for weeks and weeks. Others like Marshall Fields were able to reopen within a week of the flood uh, with an improvised electrical system, but no air conditioning. So as many tried to open as was possible, but for those that had underground trans uh, electrical uh, faults uh, they uh, that were underwater and many were still working, they decided not to chance it. They just left, left them closed. One building that had some water that was kind of a surprise was Sears Tower. Sears Tower was built long after the tunnels had closed and never had a connection of their own. But when the building was built, it bisected a tunnel where Quincy Street had been between uh, Franklin and Wacker. And so they were getting seepage through the walls, but it was a very controllable problem. But for all the old buildings that still had open uh, entrances or ones that maybe weren't as watertight as they thought, uh, it was a losing battle keeping the water out. A couple of buildings made valiant efforts, but in the end, they had to give up. And what was the how did what, what was the resolution? What, did each individual building um, uh, have to pump out their own water, or was this done at the leak site once it was plugged? It was uh, it was done at the buildings once the leak sites were plugged. It was more efficient to do that at the individual building. So we had pumping at many locations. The uh, frustrating part 
for someone like me, like trying to take pictures of this and probably for anyone else is it was a flood no one could see. So you're up on the street, the streets are great, dry. And the only thing you see is hoses, big fire hoses and pumps everywhere, pumping the stuff out of the basements. And uh, a lot was said about uh, the first Mayor Daley years before had talked about cleaning up the Chicago River and someday being able to fish on your lunch hour and cook your freshly caught fish during lunchtime. Well, got kind of close to that because the river was obviously a lot cleaner because uh, live fish were reported in the basements of uh, City Hall and a few other buildings that you could, you could just go kind of catch them with your hands. It couldn't have happened anywhere else but Chicago because no one else had this tunnel system. With the railroad out of business and the city, you know, paying minimal attention to the uh, aging infrastructure, yeah, out of sight, out of mind. And the problem is, is that when you let these things get out of mind, uh, then things can happen because even abandoned infrastructure can have problems and it can fail and you have to do, do something if it's still there. So, you know, that's where complacency uh, becomes a bit of a problem. No one thinks, well, it's not running anymore. We don't have to worry. Well, I'm afraid sometimes you do. Thanks for tuning in to WBBM In-Depth. And don't forget to subscribe on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.